Our Father and our God, as we look into your word together, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and give us insight into the things that you would have us learn. May the Spirit speak to our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Just uh, before this text begins, there's a uh, blessing for Jesus' disciples as Jesus tells them uh, not to be anxious when they are brought before people before whom they must give an account of their faith. And um, it's a wonderful promise if you've ever been nervous about sharing your faith with someone who may be hostile, uh, it's a great text to rely upon. And uh, it had a special relevance for my life when I was a new Christian and uh, called upon to uh, give a defense for my faith in Jesus before my hometown synagogue in upstate New York. Um, I was a fairly new Christian and uh, I hadn't spent enough time in the scriptures to know them well enough to be able to be fully articulate in terms of uh, what the scriptures taught about the Messiah. And yet uh, the invitation was such that I really couldn't turn it down. And so I found myself before a synagogue of about, oh, at least 200 people being told uh, to give it a defense for my faith. And I'll tell you, friends, it was really a miracle because I just, uh, it was like a fountain. I just began to, to overflow. And I'll, I'll never forget that because it showed me immediately that Jesus' word was true, that he wouldn't allow you to be uh, uh, left in the lurch, but that he was always with you. Uh, to, to help you. But now as a, a total non sequitur, there's this chap in the crowd who cries out, this interruption, he, he says, um, yeah, teacher, or he says, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi, uh, which is uh, my teacher, my teacher. Uh, well, that's a good way to address someone whom you are looking to for advice. But apparently he's not looking for advice at all. The rabbi, actually in Jesus' day, as even in more modern times, was equipped to tell you what the law said. He was an expert in the law. And that was his primary function. He didn't make hospital calls. He didn't get a prayer group together for you when you were sick. That was not his business. It was to tell you what the law said. Uh, But this chap, while he addresses Jesus as my rabbi, rabbi, uh, says, tell my brother, you tell my brother uh, to give half the inheritance to me. Well, Jesus responds, man, not an affectionate address. Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator? Uh, Arbitrator is literally a divider. And um, 
Jesus didn't come to bring property to men. He came to bring men to God. But uh, this man wants his property. What he thinks is legitimately his. He feels justice is on his side. So much so that he doesn't even ask for Jesus' advice. He just tells him what Jesus ought to do. Jesus responds in verse 15. Take care, he says, or beware. Beware any insatiable desire. Man's life cannot be measured by the abundance of things he possesses. Beware the deceitfulness of money. It can choke the life right out of you. Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 10 reads, A person who is in love with money will never be satisfied by money. If you've ever known any rich people or heard interviews with rich people, one thing that you might have heard at some point in time is a person's answer to how much money is enough. And those who are rich will usually say something like, oh, just a little bit more. It's never a satisfying thing. And here's a man, according to verse 16, who's already rich. And now in addition to what he already holds, the man has received a bumper crop. In verse 17, he asks himself, what shall I do? He's not asking anybody else in this parable. One wonders if he has any relationships in life people whom he could turn to for advice, uh, people whom he trusted to give him uh, a good orientation towards what to do. But no, he just comes up with his own answer. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll build more barns and bigger barns. And uh, that reminds me of one of the three major words for fool in the Old Testament. And it's the word kasil. You find it in Proverbs 17, 24. The eyes of the kasil, the eyes of the fool, are on the ends of the earth. Bigger is better, more is what I want. More and bigger and better. And that's where I'm going to store all my grain, all my goods. There's another word for fool, and I think anyone who has read the Old Testament will remember it because it occurs in the lifetime of David. Uh, In 1 Samuel 25, there is a chap who is named Naval. And um, I can't imagine a parent calling his child a fool, but that's what the word means, and that's what he was. Uh, David was on the run. Saul, remember, uh, who was paranoid and trying to get rid of David, uh, was pursuing him. And uh, David was looking for sustenance for him and his men. And so he comes to this uh, estate owned by Naval. The bee is silent, by the way. And uh, He's asking for for bread and for sustenance. And 
This chap responds, Shall I take that which is mine and give it to this man David and his... I don't even know who he is. I don't care about him. I don't care about his entourage. Uh, No, I'm not going to do anything for this guy. Well, Abigail, his very intelligent wife, goes to David and says, don't pay any attention to my husband. As his name is, so he is. And she offers all sorts of goods to spare her husband from death. Although God has another plan for Naval. You want to read about it, you can read in 1 Samuel 25. Well, God says to this chap in the parable who thinks he controls the future, uh, who cannot remember, it seems, that uh, Moses said that uh, we are like grass that fades. We are fresh in the morning, but we wither in the afternoon. Uh, All those of you who, like me, are experiencing uh, withering uh, in your life, can identify with Moses' words. God says to him, you're a fool. You're a fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. And the expression used here has to do with the return of a loan. In other words, your soul is not just yours. It is a loan from God. And you have to give it back to God. And God is going to evaluate what you have done with your life. You recall how Paul says it so clearly to the Romans in chapter 14? Romans, we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. We all have to give an account for ourselves. I remember when I was a young man, and I think I shared this uh, on a previous occasion, that I fell, a, I fell out with the law and had to stand before a judge uh, to hear my sentence. And I realized at that distinct point in time that I had nothing going for me at all except my hope that he'd be merciful. <clears throat> and um, I... Um, gave the best defense I could, but just said that I was deeply sorry for what I had done and asked the court to have mercy upon me, which they did, or I would have been in the clink. There's another word for fool in the Old Testament which bears upon what I have just been saying. And it's in Proverbs 14, verse 9. It's the word evil, evil. And it, here's how he is expressed. The Lord is expressed through, through Solomon's wisdom. Fools, this kind of fool, mocks at the guilt offering. Mocks at the guilt offering. Uh, And that's a terrible thing, to mock at the guilt offering. It means you're not interested in being reconciled to God. 
because the guilt offering was provided for reconciliation. But a fool has no interest in it. Uh, you and I have all in our lifetime, I'm sure, met people like that. You talk about things about the Lord with them, and they just, they just can't care less, it seems. It's like a, a, a deer looking into the headlights, you know? It just uh, it doesn't register. It makes no sense to them. They don't see their need. But the fool is not one who has a, a shallow intellect in the Bible. The fool is one who is lacking in character. That's the problem with this fool. They are unable to see themselves as they truly are before a holy God. In verse 21 of our text, Jesus contrasts those who are rich physically but are spiritually impoverished. We may immediately think of uh, Saul before he became Paul and how in Philippians he talks about the great uh, assets he had, remember? Wonderful heritage, tribe of Benjamin, a man with extraordinary intellect, uh, a student of Gamaliel, one of the great, great rabbis of the first century. Uh, and yet, you know what Paul said eventually when he came to see himself before God and his need of God in Christ? He said, all these things became rubbish to me. Rubbish. The things that could have been assets to some, perhaps, to Paul became rubbish because by trusting in them, he was not trusting in the grace of God in Christ. And he wasn't prepared to stand before a holy God. He wasn't prepared to give an account of himself before the Lord Almighty. In Romans chapter 7, he talks about his life and he says, Sin produced in me all kinds of covetousness. All kinds of covetousness. That's what the law does. The purpose of the law is to show us our sin. And he, he cries out, he says, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? One of the great works of literature is the work Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. And uh, what a character is this Inspector Javert. Inspector Javert who spends his life pursuing Jean Valjean for a crime that uh, the inspector says must be, must be punished. And he is so wrapped up in the law that he can't see mercy or grace or anything apart from the law. And it's fascinating to me how Victor Hugo, in the final scenes of this great work, has Javert saying, what a miserable man I am. Shortly after which he takes his own life 
because he can't get outside of the law and what the law demands. The Bible is quite sparing when it uses the word fool. There are only two major references to fool in the New Testament. And one of them is the text we are reading now, where God identifies this self-seeking man as a fool. The other is in Matthew chapter 25, where there are five uh, foolish virgins who don't bring oil sufficient to wait for the return of the master. What it comes down to is they didn't really take Christ's coming seriously. And many are like that today. You don't hear it often enough that Christ is coming to take us home. And he could come at any point in time, right in the middle of this service, he could come. And we would have to give an account for ourselves. And only a fool would make his case based upon justice in the raw sense of the word. Perhaps you're familiar, to some degree at least, with uh, Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. And there, Antonio, who is uh, the merchant, speaks to Shylock, who is demanding justice. And Antonio says, Though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. In the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. And he goes on to say, we do therefore pray for mercy. We pray for mercy. And it goes on beyond that even. That same prayer, the prayer for mercy, doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy, to render the deeds of mercy. Think about the man in the crowd who has been asking Jesus to just make a decision based upon his own plea. What about the relationship with his brother? Remember how David in Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity? Have you had a member of your family with whom you've been estranged? I have. Jesus always brings the issue to a higher level. What about reconciliation between the brother and his brother? David would appreciate that. You remember how David's uh, oldest son, Amnon, was killed by Absalom. He knew what it was to have a distraught 
experience because brothers couldn't relate to each other. But in Psalm 133, he says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil descending upon the robes of, of a priest. It's like, it's like the precious dew falling on Mount Hermon and then descending upon Mount Zion. Uh, the Hebrew uses the word descend three times because David recognizes that this blessing of unity comes down from above. It's not something you can do yourself. Unity with God, reconciliation with God is a blessing that comes down from above. And it's because of that blessing that we could ever think in terms of being reunited with those with whom we may be estranged. There are two wonderful bookends to the text that we have been studying this morning. The first one I mentioned already about not being anxious when we have to give a defense for ourselves. And the other one begins immediately after Jesus talks about those who may be rich materially but are impoverished spiritually. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. It's not the only time he says that in our New Testament texts. Many of us live anxious lives. And yet, Jesus says, no, don't, don't be anxious. The same God who gave his son to die for you and who rose again for you and who prays for you all the time is the God who will never forsake you or leave you in the lurch. The world can give you certain things, power perhaps, <clears throat> a certain amount of wealth if you work hard enough for it, even a degree of happiness, although it's short-lived. But it can't give you what only God can give you, love, joy, peace, part of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Apostle Peter talks about our inheritance in Christ, and he says in the first letter of, that he wrote, the inheritance to which we are born is one that nothing can destroy or spoil or wither. It is kept safe in heaven for you, and will be revealed at the end of time. Victor Hugo, the author of Les Miserables, said, true happiness is the conviction that we are loved in spite of ourselves. <laughs> loved in spite of ourselves. And that's the gospel. And that is how to become rich in things that really matter. Jesus became poor, the Bible tells us, 
that we through his poverty might be made rich. All riches are to be found in him, as Paul himself said, in whom are found all the riches of treasures ever to be found. They are to be found in Christ. My prayer for each of us here today is that we know the riches of treasures that are ours in Christ because nothing can compare to it. And the blessing of that demonetizes every other currency. There is nothing like it. Jesus Christ, the treasure of treasures, may he be ours today. Amen. Amen. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the gift of life which is freely given, free to the child of faith. May we all be children of faith and cry, Abba, Father, as we sang earlier this morning. May we know that life which to know is more abundant in Jesus Christ. Bless that truth to our hearts, we pray, for his dear and holy name, we pray. Amen.